welcome you to Hebron this morning or this afternoon as it is now. And we're going to begin our worship of God as we sing the paraphrase 30 together. Come, let us to the Lord our God with contrite hearts return. Our God is gracious, nor will leave the desolate to mourn. psalm for today is the psalm number three just a short psalm let's hear god's word and then we'll pray lord how are they increased that trouble me many are they that rise up against me many there be which say of my soul there is no help for him in god selah but thy lord o lord art a shield for me my glory and the lifter up 
of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hell, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah and amen. Bow together to seek the Lord at the throne of grace and prayer. Our Father, we approach the throne of grace now in the all-precious and the lovely name of thy dear Son. We thank you that we have one in heaven who watches over his people every day. There's not a moment of any day, but the eye of God is upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. We come on the grounds of redemption we seek thee through the merit of our dear Savior. He is all the worth and the value that we have. And we thank thee for the pleading blood of the Savior, that blood that still speaks better things than that of Abel's. We know that we are accepted today. We are welcomed as we've come together into God's house to worship the Lord and to praise his name. Lord, you accept us through your only begotten Son. Look upon us in your mercy. You know the needs of this congregation, each one, each family. Oh, Father, we pray that whatever burdens are being carried, that thou wilt alleviate those burdens. We pray that thou wilt remember the sick of the church. Think very especially today of Peter and the dark valley that he's in. Lord, he's in your hands. He knows that. And no matter what way things go for him, we know that he's got joy in his heart because it's well with his soul. Thank thee for that day when he was converted to Christ. Bless him in his illness there in Antrim Hospital. We pray that you will encourage him in the Lord. We thank thee that his eyes are on Christ, his Redeemer. And Lord, if it please thee, <clears throat> you're able to raise him up from this bed of sickness. And so we commit him into your hands. Remember Wesley and Diver too, in their continued need physically. We thank you that you're the God who is with your people in trial and trouble. We think of the valleys that we enter. We think of the, the times of ill health too. The Lord is there to help and encourage and strengthen May they prove that to be so. And all others on the prayer list, you know them one by one. We pray that you will meet with this congregation now as we come to lift our praise to Almighty God. Give us joy in our heart. Give us, Lord, <clears throat> a certain amount of excitement in our souls. Help us to realize who it is that we're coming to. The God of glory is in this house today. Help us to draw near to him with a heart that is full of assurance and the acceptance that we enjoy. And Lord, send revival. We were thinking about revival on Friday night at the prayer meeting. And we need that breath from God. We 
cry to thee as you came in 1859. You visited, first of all, this very county of Antrim when the revival broke out in Kells and Connor and spread to other parts. Lord, thou art the same God. The Holy Spirit has not changed. The promise of the Holy Spirit is still for today. Wilt thou not come, rend the heavens, come down, move with power? Lord, we commit our country to thee. We pray that you will have mercy. Remember the land of Ukraine also and our friends that are worshiping with us today. You know the heartache. You know all that's happening back in their country. The lives that are in danger. Friends and family, some of them serving on the front line. We pray that thou will keep them and guard them every day. And Lord, we pray for the cessation of this war. We pray that God will step in and that he will do that soon. Comfort and encourage and strengthen your people here, therefore. Remember those of our students that are away preaching today. We, we pray for David and Cora Gary. We think of Greg and the Isle of Man. Be with them. Remember Jonathan too as he seeks out the will of God for his life. Open up the door according to your will. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Trust the Lord will, will meet with us today and, and that he will bless us. It's good to see all who have come to the house of God and a few more coming in. Always lovely to see uh, the congregation well filled and we trust that we know God's blessing upon us in the Savior's precious name. If you're visiting with us, we, we are delighted uh, to have Mrs. Anderson. She's sitting behind Philip there. She can't see me at the moment, but uh, lovely to have you. Uh, Mrs. Johnson, rather, <laughs> getting that wrong. Um, I know that she listens into the services, and Hebron's been an encouragement and a blessing to her. Uh, as you've come to the house of God today and your friends have come with you, we trust that you'll be blessed and encouraged and strengthened in your own heart. I want to remind you of the service tonight, the gospel meeting at 7. It's also a very special time for the Moore family. And that's the dedication of little Noah, Noah Robert James. And uh, we trust that we'll have a good time this evening as we, in a very public sense, just hand this child over to the Lord as he's brought up in this world. The prayer time is at 6.30. We encourage God's people to get to the prayer meeting. Wednesday night, uh, before our regular committee meeting, uh, we need to have a school management meeting at 7 and then the committee meeting at 8 o'clock. Thursday, returning to the midweek service at 8 o'clock as we come to study the scriptures and pray together as a congregation. Friday night, the youth fellowship gets underway at 8 o'clock, and I've been asked to speak to the youth on Friday night. So young people, we encourage you to come. Don't stay away because as your pastor. Make sure you're there. Bring others with you. We'll have a word, I trust, in season for you. Friday morning, the open air in the center of our town at 11 o'clock. And then on the Lord's Day, the early season of prayer, 8 o'clock. The Sunday school, 10.30, and the Bible class at a quarter to 11. Phil is dealing with the Christian armor, and he'll be coming to the good grounding of truth within our lives and speaking in that part of the armor, the girdle of truth. Worship service then. At 12 noon, we are returning to our meditations in Mark as we continue with that series. 
The gospel meeting at 7 o'clock, preceded by the time of prayer. Can I just announce also, particularly for our youth leaders, children's workers, that the Youth Challenge recommences on the 31st of January, Tuesday the 31st, and we'll have an outreach night a week beforehand. So Tuesday week, the 24th of the month, we'll go out to the doors to invite the children in. Can I mention an event that's taking place on Saturday night, the 21st of January at 7.30, and it's down at the Martyrs Memorial, and you're invited to go, young people. This is a very important subject that will be dealt with music in Christian public worship. There's a lot uh, going on today in that front when it comes to music, a lot of changes over the past 20 or 30 years particularly, and this is a, a vital subject for our youth. And Stephen Greer from the Whitfield College of the Bible will be speaking on that subject. On Friday night, we were thinking about revival, so I'm just bringing it up before you, this slide, just to remember to pray for the moving of the Holy Spirit in our day. Keep that live in your thoughts and prayers every single day. Please remember our friends from Ukraine. We know that there's a stepping up of the war and uh, cities are being bombed again and lives are being lost. And so it's very devastating the things that we're seeing on the media. Remember them. They have friends and family back there. And as we indicated, uh, some of them serving on the front line. We're praying for uh, Valeri and Masha and their baby uh, wanting to come to Northern Ireland. Just pray that God will provide a place that's suitable for this young family to live in. Many of you helped with the, the chicken coop project. I want to thank you again. These are pictures that just come through this week of um, what is being done. So there's a few more that are benefiting from this, and this will give fresh eggs to these families, these poor families, every day. Remember also, as we think of uh, Ukraine, this is the gospel being preached in Kharkiv, and uh, we're thankful for that ministry that's going on. Uh, the folks here will know the pastors and the preachers that are going out and bringing the gospel and also helping in a practical way with food in a needy time. We were sent a video, and I think our friends have seen that video of a Ukrainian believer leading the other man in prayer. They're down in the trenches, uh, but they're committing their way to the Lord in the midst of it all. So pray for them, please. We also received this from our brother, the Reverend Ebenezer Nombre, help that was given to the Philippines after the flooding and the hurricane that came. It's a, it, these islands are prone to a lot of uh, wind and rain, and destruction is often left. So remember them in prayer that the Lord will bless them and protect them, and that these encouragements will be a help at this time. And just finally, these were gifts for Deborah House from Cortigas Nuevas. They were so glad to see Alejandro and his church uh, getting involved in this. He had contacted me, and they sent gifts from Spain to Romania to help these girls, and they really appreciated the help given. We indicated already to our praying people this morning, and also as we prayed the opening prayer, that Peter is in hospital, and He's not very well, and his wife's going up to see him shortly. Do remember Peter in prayer. 
Uh, he needs the touch of the Lord if he's to be raised up from his present illness. We think of Wesley and Ivor and these others that we're keeping live. Now, if there's somebody else to go back onto that prayer list um, that you still want there live every week, please let me know. But we have Dave and Madge, we have Marion, we have Joan Gibson, Mrs. Kyle, Maureen Connolly, Elizabeth Connolly, Brother Mervyn Miller, uh, still needs the, the touch of God in his life as he recovers, Sister Dorothy Blair, Maud Graham, and Jose Bernabeu. These are all the announcements that I need to make. We're going to sing again as we sing 201. Hark, the gospel news is sounding. Christ has suffered on the tree. Streams of mercy are abounding. Grace for all is rich and free. Now, poor sinner, come to him who died for thee.
I've been asked just to uh, remind you that we're going back to the former system of offerings. They're at the door. Uh, we did lift the offering at the missionary weekend, but they're at the door. If you'd like to give to the Lord's work, please remember that. Returning to Mark chapter 8, for those of you who worship with us week by week, you'll know that we're studying the gospel of Mark. We're coming to message 69 today, and we trust that the Lord will continue to bless us. It's been five weeks since we've been in the gospel of Mark because of a couple of Sundays and Christmas. At Christmas time, we were preaching on the incarnation. Then we had our motto text. Then we had the missionary weekend. But well, we want to return because the Lord has many things to teach us. And if you remember the last time we were dealing with uh, verse 36 and 37. And I want to come back to verse 37 again. And there's a question here uh, that the Lord is asking. And I want to ask you that question today. And then next week, God willing, it'll probably take a couple of weeks to look at the last verse of the chapter. We're going to read from verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these words search out our hearts as we read them together. We want to take up our cross and follow the Savior. We want to be what it is to be, a true Christian, washed and redeemed and saved by the grace of God. Oh Lord, hear us as we call upon your name now in the message that will be brought. Speak to our hearts. There is a question here of great solemnity asked by the Lord all these years ago, and it's so up-to-date for us. May it search out every heart, especially those that know not the Savior. May this be the day. May this be the very day when they'll come to accept Christ and trust in him for Jesus' sake. Amen. And you know, I'm just thinking the Lord really saves and, and he keeps his people. Um, we've mentioned Mrs. Johnson and got the little letter that you've written and uh, she was converted in 1962. And I was just thinking, I was born in 1962. So she's been saved as long as I've been in this life. The Lord keeps his people. And many of you have a testimony like that. And so we're thinking of verse 37. The subject that I want to preach on is trading with a soul. And Jesus is asking, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
Our dear Savior is asking a most important question about the most valuable possession that man has, and that is your soul. The soul that is immortal, the soul that will never die, die in the sense of going out of existence, the soul that will endure through the countless ages of eternity. Your soul is your most important and prized possession. Men put a value upon their property. They put a value upon pounds and position, upon pastimes and promotion, possessions, pleasures, their pals. But all these things are passing. The Scripture tells us the world passeth away. Everything that you have in this world is going to pass away forever. The things of earth are fleeting. They will soon go out of existence. I want to remind you that we take absolutely nothing with us out of this life. Nothing at all. All you take your soul, you'll be given a resurrected body that will endure forever, wherever that body and soul will be in God's eternity, heaven or hell. You'll take your memories with you, but as far as the things of this life are concerned, you take nothing with you. The old patriarch Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. And Paul reminds us we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Anything we possess in this life is physical, it's material, it's transient, it's temporary. We have these things but for really a short moment. That's all it is. That short moment might be the, the average lifespan whatever that might be, if you take what Moses says in the Psalm 90 as being an average 70 years, three score years and 10, there's many people do not reach the 70 mark, as we know. There's many others get well beyond the 70 mark. But whatever the case might be, if you just look at the 70 mark, it's a moment, a moment, when you compare it to the great eternity of God, the foreverness of that which is yet to be. And that which we have in this world, we have for that moment, that 70-year period, more or less, whatever it might be. The longest life is but a short moment when you contrast that with eternity. So Jesus is posing a question of eternal importance. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul. No inquiry could be viewed more essential than that which has eternity in view or eternity values in view. Where will you spend eternity? Where will your soul be in eternity? What after death? Such inquiries are of immeasurable importance. Some foolish individuals deny the existence of the soul. They say, all you have is a body. Just a body. And that body is going to die. It's going to go out of existence. 
They say there's no afterlife, there's no existence beyond the grave, there's no eternity, there's no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no judgment to come as far as they are concerned. Two such ignorant creatures, these truths are, are all a myth. I can but pray for their enlightenment before it is forever too late. If they don't waken up and realize the truths of the Scriptures and what God is teaching in His Word, and they die believing all this, they're going to be lost forever. They're going to perish forevermore. However, most people accept the existence of the soul. They know that there's more to us than just the physical man. Their heart and their conscience teaches them, if they're honest, about many realities. They know that there's an afterlife. They know that death doesn't end at all. They know there's an eternity. They know there's a God. There's a heaven. There's a hell. There's a judgment to come. Though countless thousands recognize the existence of their souls, yet so many have not made preparation with regard to that soul that's in their possession. I have a soul to be saved, the little chorus says. May that truth be engraved on my mind and my heart while I'm young. Oh, how awful the cost if my soul should be lost and in hell if I die as I am. But as yet for many, salvation is not an experience. Many are, not pre many are prepared to sell their soul in this life at the expense of losing it for time and eternity. And for what? And for what? Hence the question of Jesus. What should a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you selling your soul for? What price are you putting upon it? What agreement have you made with hell itself, with the devil himself, for your soul? What bargain are you forging with the powers of darkness for your soul? What are you trading your soul for? That's the question. Is it pleasure? The world has its pleasure, its pleasures. It offers enjoyment, excitement, fleshly satisfaction, the thrills and the kicks of earthly enchantment. There's joy in the world. I do not deny that as, as joyful as the world can make you. It's not true joy. True joy is knowing Christ. True, true joy is that blessedness of sins forgiven, knowing it's well with your soul, knowing that heaven is your destination forevermore. But there is happiness in the world. Merriment and laughter. I don't go to the places of the world, but I'm sure if... You went to the places of the world, nightclubs, dances, whatever it might be. I'm sure you'll hear laughter. I'm sure you'll see a certain amount of outward joy, such as it is in those that attend these places. If there wasn't happiness in these places, people wouldn't practice them. The flesh craves, you see, after sensuality, 
after immorality, after the fast life, the clubs, the pubs, the discos, the, the physical attractions of the world. And the Bible speaks about this, doesn't it? God calls them pleasures of sin. Pleasures of sin. And God speaks about those who, who follow them as being lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Some of you love worldly pleasure so much that you're selling your soul for the enjoyment of worldly pleasure. It means more to you than anything else, more than being saved, more than going to heaven, more than having your sins forgiven, more than experiencing pardon and peace with God forevermore. It may be some immoral pleasure. It might be a social pleasure, some other addictive pleasure. And you know that if you came to Jesus Christ and you were converted and you were saved, you would have to give up that pleasure. Are you trading your soul for some worldly pleasure? The world passeth away and the lust thereof the Bible says. It's short-lived. It's temporary. It will soon finish. Moses realized this. You know, the world was at his feet. He was in direct succession to the throne. Pharaoh had a daughter. That daughter had no children of her own. But she found Moses and adopted Moses into her home. And history will tell us that Moses was going to be the next pharaoh of Egypt. Direct succession to the throne. He could have had anything that this world offered him. Pleasure, immorality, wealth, all of it. But this is what the Bible tells us in the, the great chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read it to you, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter up until then. But when he came to maturity, when he could make decisions for himself in his adult life, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The pleasures of sin for a season, that little time that was spoken about in which you can enjoy the things of this world. Moses realized the value of these things. He goes on to say that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. His eye was on the Lord. I'm asking, is it pleasure? Is that what you're trading your soul for? Or maybe it's, it's popular religion. It's not a popular thing to be a real Christian. To say that you're saved to say that you're born again, that you are redeemed by the blood of Christ 
And that's where you are resting, and that's where you are staking your whole eternity in, Christ and Christ alone, to believe that there's only one way. There's not many ways. You know, Christianity is a very exclusive religion because there's no salvation outside true Christianity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's talking about heaven there. Nobody will get to heaven apart from Christ. You seek to get to heaven any other way, you will fail, you will fall, you will be lost forever. Jesus makes it abundantly clear, and we can't pretend to be wiser than him. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I'm the way, the way to the Father's house, the way to the place of the many mansions. And to say that there's only one way It's not a very popular view to be taken in the day in which we live. To stand for God and His truth. To walk in this world with Christ. To to own Him as your Savior. We'll speak a little bit more about that next week. But to really own Him and not to be ashamed of Him as your Savior. It's not a popular thing. And so some people turn to what, what I'm terming here popular religion. It may go under the name of Christianity and the broader, wider aspect of it, but when it is examined what they believe, it falls short of what the Bible teaches. But it's popular. It's the trend. It's wherever the crowd goes and whatever the crowd does. No cross to bear, no opposition to face, no persecution to endure, no reproach to encounter. Some people know that if they got saved, they would be viewed crazy, out of their mind, off their rocker. They'd be mad, and they would immediately face rebuke and scorn, ridicule and persecution. And so what do they do? They sell their soul for something that's more popular. I don't want to be a Christian, a true Christian. I don't want to be born again. I don't want to be counted in as those that that are narrow-minded. I'll just choose popular religion. And they sell their soul for that. And they're lost forever. What are you trading your soul for? Maybe it's pounds and possessions. Making money. That's all you live for. Accumulation. Getting gain. Such people have forgotten God. They've forgotten church. They certainly don't come out to worship God on the Lord's day, the day that God has given for worship. They have abandoned spiritual principles and they're building a little empire round about them. Money, business, financial increase, big car, big bike balance, big house, plenty of the world's goods. Their time and their energy all is consumed because that's what they worship. It's their motivation, it's their ambition, it's their chief object every day. Don't they know they're going to leave it all behind? Have they not realized that? They're going to leave it to others, as the Scripture speaks about. Others that maybe will fight over it whenever they are gone. They can't take it with them all the pounds, all the possessions, they'll not take it into eternity. The rich young ruler 
in Matthew 19 stumbled right here, didn't he? He wanted, he wanted to go to heaven. He wanted eternal life, as many people do. If they sit down and they honestly consider the future and eternity, and they believe in their heart there is a future, there is an eternity, they want to go to heaven, they want eternal life, and this man did. And you remember how he came running to Christ, and he kneeled before Christ. He said, good master, what good thing shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? The Lord challenged him a little bit about, about the law of God, the commandments of God, mainly setting before him his relationship with man. And he boasted, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? What's missing? Well, the Lord knew that anyone who claimed to have kept all those things wouldn't be right. Everyone has broken the law of God. And that young man had broken the law of God. In fact, when the Lord Jesus puts his finger upon his wealth and he says to him, you go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor. If you say that, that you are obeying the commandments of God and, and well, that first part of the Decalogue is all to do with your relationship with man. There's a lot of people in need. You go and sell and give everything to the poor. The young man went away heavy-hearted for he had great riches and he sold his soul for his wealth. God doesn't ask wealthy people to give up their wealth when they come to Christ. He might. He doesn't generally, but he did with that young man because it was a stumbling block. That meant more to him than anything, including the salvation of his soul, as we know, because he walked away. The possessions of the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12 took over. God blessed them. They didn't, he didn't see God's blessing. He didn't see God at all in what had happened to him and the great harvest that he had been given. When God gives a harvest, it is from him. When a man receives a harvest, it is from above. When God blesses us in any way, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. But this man didn't acknowledge that. He had such a great harvest that the old barns would not do. And he purposed to build greater. I will pull my old ones down, I'll build greater, and I will say to my soul, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God did not feature, and that was what he sold his soul for, his wealth. Don't trade your soul for the fleeting possessions of this life. Don't allow your soul to be damned for the sake of a few pounds. Maybe it's pals. Maybe it's your friends that you're selling your soul for. Some are selling their soul for friendship. Friends who love not Christ. It's maybe some relationship that they're in. And the person that they're going out with, the girl or fella, maybe husband or wife, and they're not saved and they're, and they're godless. And that relationship means more than being saved. It means more than getting right with God. Or maybe they have a closeness with, with some individual, a school friend, a work colleague. And that friendship, they don't want it to be broken. They know if they become a Christian, it likely will. Or some comradeship, the boys at the club, your drinking mates, some work companion, worldly companion. And you know, you know that if you really came to Christ, that you would have to break up that friendship because that friendship would not be good for you. That individual would seek to bring you back into the world and back into sin again. 
if you became a Christian, you wouldn't be able to go out with them and do the things that you once did. You would have to distance yourself. In fact, they would distance themselves from you if you became a Christian. They would laugh at you, perhaps they would mock you, and so you sell your soul for your pals, your friends. Remember the old saying, your friends may laugh you into hell, but they'll never laugh you out. Don't you let any friendship stop you becoming a Christian. Maybe it's position. Just one other thing to look at here. You desire rank and status in society or, or in your job. And you know that being a, a true Christian would hinder your ambition. There are things that you, would ha- that, that you do or would have to do to ascend to the position that you want. You would have to be dishonest, as many people are, perhaps. You know that there are people that you would have to walk over so that you might assail into the heights. There are friendships that you have to maintain with the ungodly in order to get what you're looking for in this life. There are places that you must go that are not good for a Christian to go to. And so you know that these things are, are not compatible with Bible Christianity. And so what do you do? You sell your soul for position. Pilate, Festus, Felix, Agrippa, they all did it. They sold their soul. Pilate had to think about what Caesar would say if he let Jesus go. When we think of the other two men that featured much together, their time overlapped. Whenever Paul stood before them and preached the gospel to them, about Festus and Felix, they had to think of their position. Agrippa was the same. And so they traded the most precious possession that they had for position. What are you giving in exchange for your soul? I ask you, is it worth it? Be honest. You're selling your most valuable possession for what? You're allowing your soul to be damned for all eternity. For what? Some vanishing worldly pursuit or pleasure. I'm asking you, is it really worth it? What should it profit a man, if you go back to the previous verse, what should it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There is no loss like the loss of a soul. It doesn't matter, my friend, what you lose in this life. To lose your health is a tragedy. To lose your wealth, I'm sure, is a great loss. To lose family and friendships is a great loss. But there's no loss like the loss of your soul. Nothing can be compared with it. And I'm asking you again, what are you giving in exchange for your soul? What are you selling your soul for? It's not worth it. 
Heed the challenge of Christ. Listen to his question. Act upon it and do something today about getting right with God and making sure that your soul is soundly saved and ready for eternity. Where do you go? You go to the cross. That's where Jesus dealt with our sin. That's where he paid the price that we might be forgiven. Get to Calvary and go there now with haste for Christ's sake. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we've, we've brought the message. We've, we've looked at the question of our dear Savior. And we just pray that we'll feel that challenge in our hearts and we'll sit up, we'll listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. There are those in this meeting and they're not saved. The Lord will love them. We don't want them to go on in their sin. We don't want them to die without the Lord. We don't want them to be lost forever. Lord, will you help them today to realize their need? Apply the word of God to their souls by the ministry of the Spirit. Help them to think seriously about their destiny, their eternity. Help them to see the value of their soul, their precious immortal soul. And may they make haste to Calvary. Get beneath the blood of the Redeemer though their sins forgiven. Obtain pardon and peace with God forevermore. Lord, speak while this voice is silent. For Jesus' sake. Amen. 232 is our closing hymn. O sinner, the Savior is calling for thee. Long, long as he called thee in vain. He called thee when joy lent its crown to thy days. He called thee in sorrow and pain. And he's still calling. He's called you many times. You've sat in this church. You've sat in other meetings elsewhere. And you know that God has been calling you. And he's still calling you. He's been calling in vain. What about today? Don't let the opportunity pass by. Don't miss it. Come to the Savior. Let's sing the words, please. Let's rise and sing.
Heavenly Father, your presence has been here and you've spoken to our hearts. Help us to realize, each one of us, that we've only one life and it will soon be passed. And there are those in this meeting not ready. Lord, may they prepare. And those that have joined us on the internet today, if they're not saved, may they prepare and seek the Lord, call upon his name and know God's salvation. Separate us for this time with your blessing. Keep us in the afternoon and uh, Lord, as we come for the gospel meeting tonight, may your presence be there too. For Jesus' sake, amen.